Hey everyone, I just wanted to start off by apologizing for the sound quality here. We're having some microphone issues um, that we will try to remedy in the future. There's a couple of dips throughout the uh, times that I'm speaking in some parts, uh, particularly towards like the, the latter half of the episode. Um, I apologize for that. It is a little bit of uh, user error slash equipment error, but we will remedy that as soon as we can. Macabrepedia makes light of dark subject matter and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Before Arthur Conan Doyle created Sherlock Holmes, Edgar Allan Poe penned three stories featuring his super sleuth, Chevalier Auguste Dupont. Dupont is thought to be partially the inspiration for Sherlock, They both solved the crimes that left others baffled. They both had trusty associates that they palled around with. But Dupont was not truly a detective. That is because in 1840, when Dupont first began putting the pieces together to solve the murders in Rue Morgue, the word detective hadn't actually been created yet. Dupont would feature in three of Poe's works, The Murderers in Rue Morgue, The Mystery of Marie Roger, and The Purloined Letter. Dupont would piece together the crimes of Paris primarily through thought and reasoning, and mostly from the comfort of his favorite armchair. Dupont may have been a fictional sleuth, but at least one of the crimes he would ponder wasn't. The Mystery of Marie Roger was the first true crime novel in history. Inspired by and including nearly every detail surrounding the murder of Mary Rogers of New York a young woman who Poe had likely made the acquaintance of. Was Poe using the character of Dupont to solve the crime? Or perhaps he was in league with one of the suspects to cover it all up? You decide, as you join us for another entry into this, our Macabrepedia. Hello, and welcome to Macabrepedia, a marriage of true crime and the truly bizarre. We are your hosts, Matthew and Marissa, and every week here we descend into the dark depths of our suburban basements to bring you either a tale of true crime from history or something truly fascinating and bizarre. Matthew, what did you spend this week becoming an expert on? An expert? That, um, yes, I spent the better part of two weeks becoming the foremost leading expert on the subject of the unsolved murder of Mary Rogers in 1841. Yeah, that's how much time it takes to become the foremost leading expert in the world. That's Two as, weeks. That's, that's, as mu- that's as much time as I can give and still have weekly episodes. <laughs> so I'm going to give you the facts as I know them, and we will see if we can piece together the whodunit that is the murder of Mary Rogers. Now, just to kind of give you a little bit of information about 1841 and the type of information that you're going to be able to gather from 1841 going through newspapers and that kind of stuff it it, newspapers could print pretty much anything they wanted to at this time so it there, there wasn't a lot of fact checking or anything like that so there's a lot of contradicting information plus it seems that a lot of the information is coming from interviews that they had 
with certain people. So if that person said something and made it into the print, and then that might have been compiled later in one of the other books or pieces of media that then compiles the story around Mary Rogers. So there is a lot of there is a lot of uh, information that com- is completely at odds with one with itself. So bear with me as we go through this. I'm just giving you all of the facts, and some of them are. Some of them may be are facts according to the people who said them. But let's start with Mary Rogers. She was born in Connecticut in 1820 to Phoebe and Daniel Rogers, who are her parents, presumably, because Phoebe had a daughter who was 19 years old, who there who may actually be Mary's mother, and Phoebe had taken the child from her 19-year-old daughter to try to help her save face as an unwed 19-year-old because that could be ruinous. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time that happened. Right. And it's not to say that that was definitely the case, but part of the reason why this is a belief is because Phoebe Rogers was already in her 40s at the time that Mary was born. Not impossible, but, you know, it, it you're, you can have children after 40 in 1840 or 1820. That was a, that was dangerous, but mm-hmm. at the same time, like, you know, it is what it is. So maybe she did have, have a child at, at 40, 42, but, and she survived and that's a hey, lucky, good, good on them. Well, we could see why people would speculate that it wasn't hers. Yeah, absolutely. Being 19 years old unwed and having a child is that's, that's, going to be a bit of a speed bump in your future. In 1834, Daniel Rogers, Mary's father, was killed in a steamboat accident. In case you don't know, steamboats, very dangerous. Uh, Steam by itself hurts pretty bad. Uh, Steam explosions. Yeah, when it builds up, it can really cause some damage. Yeah, that is a very bad thing to end up uh, uh, around. After Daniel Rogers dies... Mary and her mother, Phoebe, who will be the only person referred to as Mary's mother going forward, or sometimes Mrs. Rogers, they move to New York City and begin cleaning houses. Eventually, they find themselves tending to the house of John Anderson, a tobacconist who owns Anderson's Tobacco Emporium. After a few meetings with Mary, uh, Anderson offers her a job running the cigar counter uh, in his shop. Reluctantly, her mother allows the now 18-year-old Mary to accept the position. This is reluctant because there is a belief that women shouldn't have like front-facing jobs like that due to the fact that men might try to corrupt them or pick them up. But Anderson understands that having a beautiful woman running the counter can only be a boon for business. So he tries to use Mary's beauty to lure in some traffic, which it did. Apparently, Mary was hot. Like, she was so beautiful that men would write and publish poetry about her. She was described as ethereal and hypnotically pleasing, of possessing a dark smile that hid knowing eyes. She was throwing out that look of just interested enough that it makes men vie for her attention, like, uh, like a Hooters waitress that tells you that you're her favorite table to wait on kind of a thing. Makes you feel real special when you're, when you're in her company. 
Uh, it's kind of like a, you know, weaponizing her sexuality for for profit. Yeah, it sounds like she was really beautiful, like um, like a young Angelina Jolie or something like that. Sure, I, if if that's if that's your benchmark for 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 beauty, I know it seems like. I might be over uh, overstating her attractiveness, um, uh, but I, it, I'm, I don't think that I am. You can find newspapers that cover this story and you can see how much ink is actually given to her story. It's not like her murder is the only one that that'll be covered in New York during this time frame. I mean, this is New York in the 1830s. This is five points gangs of New York kind of times. But Mary's beauty seemed to be something really special, and Anderson saw it. Anderson's Tobacco Emporium would become the premier tobacco shop of 1838 and 39. Wow. Hope she got a bonus. We can we can assume that, that she made a, a tidy little sum. But writers and poets like Washington Irving, Edgar Allan Poe, newspaper and magazine editors, political figures, everyone who was anyone was coming to Anderson's, partially for the fine tobacco and tobacco accessories for sure. But Mary's involvement should not be undervalued here. Like I said, people are writing poems and, and publishing them about this beautiful tobacco or cigar girl. Wow. So while working there, Mary is... She was making a, a good bit of money, enough money, in fact, to help uh, her mother purchase a boarding house. The endeavor may have been financially helped by Mary's brother, but that that doesn't really have much of an impact on the story. But Mary's mother, Mary and her mother end up buying this boarding house and a boarding house is kind of like an extended stay bed and breakfast or kind of uh, Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Um, Send to stay hotel, um, nearly exclusively used by young men who were traveling or temporarily on shore leave from one of the many ships that was traveling in and out of New York. But um, some people would it could it could be used for you know, daily stays, weekly stays, up to years. People would stay at these boarding houses. One day in 1838, which Mary's 18 years old, does not Mary does not show up for work. There are sources that say that Mary, that Mrs. Rogers, Mary's mother, found a suicide note that Mary had written. Sources would also report that Mrs. Rogers did not seem very distressed about the fact that Mary was missing. Others would say that she had run away with one of the sailors that had boarded at the Rogers house. Newspapers would report on this. Claims and theories began to circulate until a little over a week later, Mary Rogers returns home saying that she was just out visiting family nearby. Yay. Yay. And she doesn't understand what all the fuss is about. Mary claims that her mother knew where she was going and from, but that's not good enough for newspapers. Like I said, they, they can print pretty much whatever they want at this point. So people begin to assume that Mary had secretly left town to have an illegal abortion or, and she was actually spending time recovering at her aunt's house during that time, or that um, this was some kind of publicity stunt by John Anderson to bring more attention to his shop. Um, but it was already a very popular space anyways. I don't know if he would have been able to really get that much more out of it. Sounds but, like a very, like a lot of gossip around this for sure. Right. And 
this isn't going to happen for your normal associated cigar shop. Right, right, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, she she seems to be like a legendary beauty. There's a picture of her that you can find online. I'll post it on Twitter or something. She's not. She doesn't look. She's not. I I don't I don't personally think that she's like that attractive. But photographs of the time, you had to like sit pretty still, and it wasn't like. You know, duck face kind of looking looks and stuff like that. There was no Instagram filters, so she's just kind of no dressed up, just kind of sitting there. But she looks she looks actually really sad in the picture, really. So, anyways, these rumors and hearsay, uh, whatever else the, the the whatever the papers could put in there to to, to sell, they were gonna they were gonna find a way to print it. Completely unlike clickbait headlines of today. Where we oh, would, of course not. We would like never that. do anything like that. So we can we can't really put a whole lot of stock into any of the reasons behind the the the, dis, the disappearance, not even really the suicide note, um, because there's not a lot that actually. If, if Mary's mom didn't seem that worried about it, there may not have even been a suicide note that was put there, mm-hmm. and somebody heard something, and then you know whatever. Again, we can't put any stock in newspaper stuff. I, I say that, but. Most of the information I got was pulled from the various newspapers of the time. But it wasn't long after her sudden reappearance that Mary still decides to leave the tobacco counter. And she actually begins working full time at the boarding house. Obviously, this was not something that Anderson was a big fan of. And he offered to increase her wages if she would stay. Mary declines. This is probably in part because uh, when you work in a public facing kind of retail position and you're so popular that newspapers are printing things about your, 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 every time you take a vacation, there's a newspaper headline about it. Wherever you go in town, you're going to probably be getting asked questions about your disappearance, disappearance. And she probably was getting fed up with this happening all the time. Also Phoebe, her mom was in her late fifties, early sixties at this time. So it would probably be a benefit to her mom to also do the boarding house and the boarding house seems to have never been lacking of for business anyways. So the rooms were often occupied by young men more than one of them seemed to be interested in the now 19 year old Mary. Mary would begin a courtship with Alfred Cromlin, a young clerk who had moved into the house in the winter of 1840. Mary and Cromlin became fast friends and seemingly enjoyed each other's company to the point that Cromlin had began turning his thoughts towards marriage. Mrs. Rogers, Mary's mother, agreed with the match and regarded Cromlin as a very good fit for Mary. Well, they sound like a great couple. It sounds great. Yeah. He had good potential and a marriage with Cromlin would include taking the Rogers uh, up a few notches up a few rungs on the old social ladder, um, which if we take everything that we've compiled thus far, Phoebe, if she wasn't actually Mary's mother and was actually taking it from her daughter to save face for her 19 year old daughter at that time, this could, she might be very into having her family elevated or yeah, yeah. Well, to yeah. at least keep up appearances. So if we rise in society, right, we can assume that Phoebe would have enjoyed a bit of upward mobility, right? Mm -hmm. So not that it, not that that's like uncommon now or then, I mean, you know, you might as well try to move yourself up and get, get, you know, marry rich. Why not? 
Um, so, but I have found accounts where Cromlin proposed to marry and she, that she accepted and then she later called it off. I've mm-hmm. also seen accounts where he didn't propose at all. And then I've also seen accounts where he did propose, did propose and she refused. So we have no idea. So I have no idea. They definitely had, there was something there. So in the spring, probably like June um, uh, of 1841, a cork cutter by the name of Daniel Payne took up residence at the boarding house. Cork cutter? This was a profession? Yeah, it, it, it's just like it sounds. It's he's a, it's a guy who cuts corks for to put in a, to fit into bottles. Okay, and probably not the most glamorous uh, job, but um, Payne pays and, the bills. Pays the bills at the boarding house. Um, Payne and Mary go on like a house on fire. Payne begins to court Mary, and by most accounts, Phoebe was not a fan of this. Mister Payne. Um, Nothing nothing seems to be like terribly unusual or bad about the guy. But if we kind of, again, but he's no Alfred, he's no, he's no Cromlin, Uh, but a a cork cutter doesn't necessarily have a a whole lot of future ahead of him either. So it could also be that. Yeah. Well, compared to a a clerk, if she's trying to get some societal movement, upward mobility. And I, I, uh, there was a maid at the boarding house who would later, uh, state that Mary and her mother had had arguments on at least one occasion about this whole matter with pain, not being good and that she should go with Cromlin again. It, yeah, it was printed in a newspaper, but you know, what are you going to do against young love? You aren't going to stop it. And you're most likely just going to flam fan the flames. If you try Yeah, powerful force. Oh, and you know who else didn't really like this idea of Mary and Payne getting together? Alfred. Alfred Cromlin. Yeah, that other guy living in the house, the guy trying to court Mary whilst living across the hall from Payne, he was not a fan. The two of them surely had some tension between them, even if you try to like romanticize the, the gentlemanly qualities as if this was some kind of Jane Austen novel. They are not going to get along. Cromlin eventually gets fed up and he moves to another boarding house a few streets away. Well, that was quite mature of him. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he just he took himself out of the situation. He moved. He left the house like that's. He's, yeah, he took himself out of the situation. He didn't have to watch this happening in front of him. Yeah. And they, they had also been, only been together like Payne and, and Mary had only been together for like two months at this time. Tops two months at this time, and they're already engaged. Yeah, and Cromlin's like, man, I'm sure they're fuck just you guys. <laughs> PDA everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's still 1841. Yeah, well, I know, but for the time, anyway, we don't know. <laughs> it's her house slash business. I don't know. But anyways, according to later newspaper reports, uh, when Cromlin left, he tells Mary that if she ever needs help for any reason, to call upon him. Well, that was nice. It is. So on Friday, July 23rd, again. Payne moves in in like June-ish. On Friday, July 23rd, 1841. Now the dates are getting a little more specific. So if you haven't been taking notes, this is the time to start. We should be making a Macabrepedia mystery journal so that people can write down their clues and suspect notes and then have like a at-home, play-at-home kind of game. Whatever. Anyways, on Friday, July 23rd, 1841, 
Cromlin receives a letter from Mary asking him to come see her at the boarding house. But he doesn't go. On Saturday, the 24th of July, he receives another note, this time with a flower threaded through his, the keyhole of his door. How romantic. Such, just so beautiful. Again, the note asks Cromlin to call on her at the boarding house. He still doesn't go. Keep in mind of a few things here. Yes, he did tell her to call upon him if she ever needed any help. But she had only recently rejected him and then effectively started dating his roommate. Yeah, well, a flower is a romantic gesture. So he might just be confused and being like, no, you rejected me. We're not going there. I meant as friends. It is a little weird that they broke up and then she puts this flower in his keyhole. And it, 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 was, it, it may have actually also been a rose that was put in there. Even better. It? Right. But she'd only been with Payne for like, again, a month or two. That might have the, – the, the, the flash might have might have burned away. That's a lot when you're young. Yeah, but I'm just saying like she may have been wishy-washy on who she wanted to be with. Yeah. Plus she's also had dealing with the pressures of her mom. Right. He hadn't been gone for – Cromlin hadn't been gone that long. Um, Cromlin may not have been ready to go and see her again, being even though he had said that he would be there for her. Do we know how old Cromlin is? I do not know. I don't think he's particularly. I don't. I think they're all pretty close in the similar ages. I have nothing to back that up. But um, so yeah, so he gets this flower in his door. This could also be a sign that she was choosing Cromlin over pain after all. But we won't ever find out why she left those letters or that flower. But we will find out what we could dig up from our sponsors. I mean, I guess it's okay. Today's entry is brought to you in part by Red Barn Murders Mole Spades. Whether defending your garden or searching for a hastily covered body placed in a shallow grave, there is no name more trusted in dirt poking tools than Red Barn Murders. RBM mole spades come in with two handle lengths. Both feature a sturdy T-shaped hand grip. They're mole spuds. What? They're called mole spuds. Well, don't tell me what Red Barn Murders mole spades are. <laughs> they're, they're, they're called mole spades. Okay. You can mole spud your way right out of this commercial if you want. This is my sponsor break, not yours. But you're wrong. Uh, okay, don't tell me what my fictional company is. <laughs> Calls its products, okay? RBM Mole Spades come in two handle lengths. Both feature a sturdy T-shaped hand grip and are made of solid ash. Three rivets secure the stainless steel strapping for long-lasting durability. Mole Spuds. No. What makes the RBM the best? Well, not only is the design strong... But thanks to its patented comfort design, the RBM is not nearly as taxing as many other corpse recovery tools on the market. This design allows you to maximize your search times without worry of fatigue. The RBM Mole Spade Spud. Spade Spud. allows you to prod for lost loved ones for hours longer than the next leading competitor. As all RBM tools, Mole Spades come with Spud. a lifetime limited warranty. Stop it. Use offer code <laughs> Six feet deep for a reason and get 15% off your first purchase. That is Red Barn Murders Mole Spades, only available through this ad. 
You can be as wrong as you want. We would also like to send a whole black-hearted thank you to all of our listeners. We appreciate appreciate you all listening to our little labor of love wherever you are in the world. And we would also like to send a thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. We very much appreciate your support. If you would like to support the show by tossing in a few drachma to the old boatman, you can do so at the Macabrepedia Patreon page. There's only one tier. It is $5, and it gets you some extra content, a few knickknacks, videos, a personal shout-out on, on an episode or two, and, of course, our undying gratitude. If you can't support the show financially, please share the episode on your social media and conversations with friends. Whatever you can do to help grow the audience would be awesome. You can also comment and review us on Apple Podcasts, and Spotify allows you to review podcasts now. We try to have some fun here, so tell your friends so they can have some fun too. I believe it's May. Drachma is singular, so you wouldn't throw... Okay, Mole Spade. Friday, July 23rd through Saturday, the 24th, 1841. Cromlin had received letters from Mary asking him to come see her, which he doesn't do. Early on Sunday, July 25th, Mary knocks on the door of Daniel Payne at the boarding house and tells him that she plans on going to her cousin's house after church and that he should meet her at the omnibus stop. He agrees to meet her. This was not unusual for him to do. He would tell reporters later that he often had walked her home from the omnibus um, in the evenings on at least three or more occasions. This is a bus stop? Yeah, omnibus, bus. Yeah. It's just not motorized. It's not a big big city bus. Well, I guess it kind of is. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, He would also tell reporters that he had went out – uh, to a number of restaurants that day and some shops throughout the morning. And then he meets up with his brother in the afternoon before heading home at about 3 p.m. Upon arriving home, he decides to take a nap before having to go meet up with Mary. When he awakes around 6 p.m., he heads out to go for a walk at Battery Park, where he again runs into his brother, this time with his children, his brother's children. Around 7 p.m., it begins to storm, so he seeks shelter around the park, and he remains there until about 9 p.m. Payne would assume that Mary would stay at her cousin's rather than press through the storm to get home, so he does not go to meet her. Obviously, this is 1841, so it's not like he could just like shoot her a text, yo, what up, when you're coming home, you still want me to meet you? This was a time even before pagers. What? That long ago. Wow. So Monday, July 26th, Payne finds Mrs. Rogers, Phoebe Rogers, upset and finds out that Mary had never come home after leaving the morning before. So Payne gets a little worried about this. Payne heads to the cousin's house to see if Mary was still there, but she wasn't. And according to her cousin, she had never been expecting her to come by the day before. So Payne becomes increasingly worried and he starts asking around in the area and he even takes a ferry over to Staten Island and then over to Hoboken in New Jersey. He searches for, uh, he searches around the waterfront and he begins asking questions to whoever he can before returning home. They place an ad in the local paper asking for any information about her disappearance. Twice this lady has had newspapers writing about her disappearance. Popular lady. She is. Well, this one was actually apparently placed by her mother. So 
which I don't. So this is more legitimate for sure. Yeah. I don't see who placed the first one or why it even actually became an issue with her first disappearance back in 38. But that, that's here nor there. On Wednesday, July 28th, Alfred Cromlin opens up the paper to find this ad that, that Mrs. Rogers had placed. So he, this is the first he's heard of Mary not being around. Mm-hmm. Also, this is still, she, she asked him to come see her a few days ago and he still hasn't talked to her. So he opens this up and he sees this paper, this, this ad here. He immediately heads over to the boarding house where he finds Payne and Rogers in the main room. Cromlin struck by how little has, is being done, uh, has a little bit of a, a little bit of an argument with Payne, who he probably doesn't really get along with anyways, before Cromlin heads over to the local police station to see if they had any news. Again, 1841 times are a little different. When I use the term police, you should take this more as like neighborhood watch as there wasn't actually a police force in New York City until 1845, partially due to this, this whole Mary Rogers thing, possibly. At this time, the police force was well under 100 people, primarily volunteer watchmen or roundsmen, depending if it was night or day, I guess, um, who patrolled the streets and they dealt with crime however they could. It goes without saying that these guys were understaffed and probably not immune to corruption. Alfred Cromlin doesn't get anything from the police. So he gets his friend, Archie, Archibald Padley, and the two of them start their own search. They also check along the waterfronts and eventually arrive in Hoboken, just like uh, Payne had done, where a couple of men had discovered a body of a woman floating about 200 yards out in the Hudson river. The men pulled the body to the shore and secured it with rope and, uh, and, and a rock to keep it from washing away while they went to go find the authorities. This doesn't look good, Mary. Well, we don't know if it's Mary yet. I just said it doesn't look good. So they secure this, this thing, the, the way that they secure it does not seem to tamper with any of the evidence more than what you, you know, it's, there, there are, there's reference to binding that has nothing to do with the way that they, they secured her. Cromlin and Padley push through the already gathered crowd. Cromlin is said to have gone to the body and rubbed the arms to identify it as Mary or before identifying it as Mary. That seems strange. It is a strange way to ID the body by rubbing the arms. This does imply that her face was not easily identified. And it, if you think about it, it's Wednesday, the 28th. She had last been seen alive on the morning of the 25th. So three warm July days floating in the, in, in the water, probably going to cause some, some bloating or yeah. decomposition maybe. Temperature that time of year in the Hudson's like uh, 70 degrees ish Fahrenheit. Yeah. She looked that up. She doesn't just know all water temperatures all over the, the country at any given month. No, way to get behind the scenes there. <laughs> you can't just, you can't just ra- Throw that out there and have people be like, oh, wow, she's really good with water temperatures. Um, but you'd think that still looking at the face would probably be easier to identify. Now, the the rubbing of the arms, I believe, is actually – I read where that comes from and it is actually what Cromlin said that he did. He doesn't specify that it was because he couldn't identify her face. He just says he rubbed her arms 
So maybe Before just in grief, the, he just grabbed yeah, her arms. He, yeah, he might have just been saying that he went over and he grabbed her by the arms. That bef- makes more before. sense. But it, you know, I don't know. It, again, it, I, I'm pretty sure that that actually comes from his statement, but it's not necessarily saying that it was because he couldn't possibly tell who it is. Also, newspapers uh, are all over the place with the descriptions of what happens with this body here. So I spent a few hours reading through newspapers from those dates. New York has a ton of archive newspapers from a bunch of the different publishers and the different little burbs and whatnot. Um, the boroughs in the area um, that date back even years and years prior to, to the, the 1840s. But it makes for some interesting reading if you ever want to go check it out. I went through all the local papers I could find that made mention of this case. And I found one that said that there was... There was no signs of any trauma uh, on the body. That also may have come from a statement made by um, Payne when he had said it. Payne never sees the body. He goes and sees the body. It's, I don't really put it into the story here, but they because it's so hot, they actually temporarily bury her body. Payne eventually goes and sees the body, but it's already after it had been buried for a short time. And But he doesn't... Anyways... It said there, there was at least a they statement. They didn't have ice? They, I don't know. I don't think so. I think that they could make, they probably could. I'm just curious. I've never heard of them doing that. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but. Well, it's cooler in the ground, right? Yeah, it is. But it, either way, they, they, they buried her. Payne doesn't go and see her until after she had already been put in the ground for a little while too. So, But I believe that it was his statement that said that there was no no real trauma, but she would she had when they did pull her back out there was also other other information that said that she had badly decomposed at that point so anyways the point is that there are some statements and some evidence that says that she had no trauma no nothing just looked like mary but wet apparently mm-hmm. i don't know um, now well, that's unlikely three days in the river in July. Right. So I also found one that stated that the body was so battered that they had assumed that she had been thrown down the cliffside and rolled down the rocks around Sybil's cave, which is like a park area of like a touristy area. Um, that's right on the edge of the, of the Hudson Hudson river. Yeah. I looked it up. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, Jersey gets a lot of crap, but it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Jersey. I think co- people, when you say New Jersey, they think that it's, it's like, like just this huge urban sprawl, mm-hmm. but it's really, it's not really, there's all, it's called the garden state. Right. And, yeah. it, and it has a lot of really nice places. The now, cliffs are so nice. You n- I never yeah. thought that there was cliffs like that until we drove through it. But anyways, um, there was a coroner's report that stated, and I'm kind of paraphrasing a lot of this here that, her wrists showed circular bruising that appeared to have been caused by a cord that had bound her wrists together. It is, it, it doesn't appear as if she had been like grabbed, like the bruising had come from grabbed wrists, but instead from binding. Her cause of death was not due to drowning as she did not have sufficient enough water in her lungs to cause that. He, that her throat had also had bruising around it as if she had been grabbed by a man, like, because there was like a thumb bruise. Specifically a man? Because of the bruising on either side of the neck. It was a fat, rather large hand. 
It says by a man. It could have been a very large-handed woman. I don't know. A chimpanzee, maybe. I don't know. Could have been anything. But grabbed around the neck, basically. Grabbed around the neck forcefully. um, And her face had been suffused with blood, but didn't show any signs of cuts or trauma. Or like severe blunt trauma, I guess, would be the way that it was actually put, put in there. I'm not sure exactly what they mean by suffused with blood. I don't think it means to be like covered in blood. Uh, as she had been found in the river and any outward signs of blood would have been washed away by the, uh, from the skin, at least uh, from being in the water. It may have been a bruising of the face. Uh, this also could have been like liver mortis where the blood had pulled in her face. It would imply that she was laid face down for a while after death or even hung upside down to have the blood pool there. Yeah. Gravity. Um, they also reported that her back had been scratched and damaged as if she had been struggling with her back pressed against something hard, like a rock or a tree or something like that. They concluded that her cause of death was due to strangulation with a cord. Some other notable pieces of evidence that I had found in a few places um, in the newspapers and not. Um, again, this this is referencing compiled evidence that may have been from The Beautiful Cigar Girl by Daniel Stashauer or even Poe's uh, The Mystery of Marie Roget, uh, as well as there's a couple other books that have been written for it and obviously the newspapers. Um, but there are sources that say that her hands and arms were clenched tightly across her chest uh, as it, and, they, and they weren't bound at this time. But this looks like as if it was um, either like rigor mortis or a, a cadaveric spasm. Um, now, because of the timing, rigor mortis, it would, it would have been, it would have placed her time of death later than that Sunday. Cause rigor mortis doesn't last that long mm-hmm. for more on liver and rigor mortis. Uh, go listen to our episode on the stages of death. We kind of go into more detail there, but I don't really know if that is actually the case um, because Cromlin says that he identified her body from rubbing her arms. I don't see how he would be able to do that if her arms were rigid like that. Again, he might have just ran over and and grabbed a hold of her arms. I don't know. Maybe she had some kind of furry mole that he was able to to identify. I don't know. I wasn't there. But it was having some type of rigor mortis or cadaveric spasms uh, that this would place her in the water for less than a day before being found. It would also mean that her body wouldn't have been, wouldn't have any major damage from the elements or from the water uh, other than, other than like maybe a couple fish nipples, but I digress. Another piece of interesting information was that her clothing had been torn into strips that may have been used to tie her up with um, even a straps that it even had uh loops that had been tied around her waist and then kind of looped around to make like a handle as if it was make it easier for her to be carried. Also, she still had her hat tied to her, but it wasn't tied in what the coroner described as a lady's knot, like which is like a bow, I suppose, but more um, instead it was described as a sailor's knot, which could be like a slip knot kind of a thing or something along those lines. From some sources, it said that she had been subjected to uh, a sexual assault, but on Smithsonian.com, it says that her chastity was intact. Well, that's what the, the coroner said, but how would he know that? 
Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, he didn't say that her chastity was intact. He said that she was a, a, a woman with chasta, virtues of chastity. But but uh, because of the sexual nature, she's been described as brutalized and, and possibly a sexual possible. Yeah. You're, you're not going to get a bunch of scratches on your back because somebody held you down and tickled you. Right. Um, but it, it, that could have also been a character witness as far as she lived a chat, a, a chaste life or whatever. That's what it sounded like to me. It, it, so I, I don't know. Most likely, I'm going to assume that there was some sexual assault in here. Right. And that's the way it sounds to some of the reports that I saw that she had been the subject of that. Um, but again, all these details are there. That is from the coroner's coroner's report that had two different, two different feels to it. You know, that she, that she may have been sexually assaulted, but then she may have been a virgin who knows. So anyways, Cromlin and Padley were able to recover a lock of Mary's hair, a shoe, and pieces of her clothing to bring back to Mrs. Rogers. They got this from the coroner. Um, but they ended up in doing this and getting Mary to where she needed to be and getting all the stuff. They missed the last ferry back to New York, and they had to stay the night in Hoboken. One of the men who had found the body did make it back to New York, and he went and brought the news to Mrs. Rogers and Daniel Payne. He had had no prior contact with either of them. So why he took it upon himself to try to get this message to them, pretty odd. Uh, maybe he was looking for for a reward. There was some, when they took out that ad, I, I saw that there may have been a reward attached to it. Maybe that's what he was trying to do was go collect this reward. Maybe he was just doing what he thought was the right thing to do. Um, although you'd think that he would have been around the body while Cromlin and Padley were there and found out that they knew who she was. So I don't know if he was just trying to, like I said, beat them there so he could try to grab a reward or whatever. The man would be interviewed and reportedly remarked on how neither uh, of neither Mrs. Rogers or Daniel Payne seemed to be overly distraught when he told them of the news. He said that they didn't have a strong reaction. But again, this is a stranger knocking on your door to say that they that he recovered your daughter's body. They could be thinking like, well, then you're the fucking killer. Yeah. You know, who knows? So the murder was big news as it involved Mary Rogers, who had, was not only recognizable in the area from her time at Anderson's cigar shop, but she had also made headlines a few, year, a few years earlier for her initial disappearing. Suspects were brought in and questioned. This included Alfred Cromlin, Daniel Payne, John Anderson, a sailor named William Kirkuk, who had at one point boarded with the Rogers and had again been in town the weekend that all this went down. Another man named Joseph Morse, who was a customer at Anderson's Emporium. And when the investigation, uh, Morse started to become investigated after his wife had apparently reported that Morris had um, been violent towards her. She had said that she didn't know where he was on the 25th. And when she next saw him, he was, he was very agitated and then became violent towards her. And then he dipped out. It was also found out that Morris had been seen arguing with a young lady on Hoboken and had bragged to a man on the, on a ferry the following Tuesday after this argument that he had taken a girl over 
there for uh, an, an encounter of sorts. Evidence kept piling up against Morse until the woman who he had actually been arguing with came forward and admitted that it was actually her that he had had this contact with and that it wasn't actually in Hoboken. It was actually on Staten Island. But she was worried that, you know, coming forward and he was married and this was a bit of an affair and all this stuff was going to be a a big thing. But being that it's attached to a murder, she figured, eh, probably going to go ahead and do this. So um, Morris is exonerated. So he's not known as a murderer, but still a pretty big asshole. Mm -hmm. They, they questioned John Anderson, the tobacco store owner, um, but he was never really treated as any like as a real suspect. He had been seemingly – he had no real motive to do something like that unless he was another rejected suitor. And maybe that could be why she left the store to begin with. Possibility. Could be. They um, They interview Payne who recounted his day in great detail. Uh, and his time spent with his brother and even the three hour nap in the evening uh, after and then going to the battery. Uh, much of his day has been accounted for by witnesses who uh, signed affidavits that he had actually been there. He would also tell the paper that he had never seen Mary give any attention to any other man. Well, we know that's not true. Yeah, apparently he didn't didn't count Cromlin amongst them. Oh. We know we we know that she at least had something going on with with Cromlin in some way. Um, was it Payne who had found out that Mary was leaving these notes for Cromlin, and he then decided to take matters into his own hands and 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 kill Mary? He they, jealous lover. Well, you know they 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 had a relationship that that you know burned real hot right from the get-go. So he might have been a very passionate person and might have gotten the best of him. Was he suspicious that she may be going back to Cromlin? Maybe. Who knows? Uh, A theory that was spread by the newspapers was that gangs had taken her. Um, And later, two men associated with New York gangs would be arrested in Albany, which is not in New York City. It's, It's much further north. Um, and the newspapers would then report that one of the two men had in his possession a ring with Mary's name engraved on it. Well, that is incriminating. It would be, but it wasn't true. This would be oh. retracted in the next paper uh, because the men were arrested on suspicious suspicion of a completely different crime and had no correct collect uh, no connection to the Rogers investigation at all. This is just. Just speculation, pure speculation. Yeah. Two guys got arrested in Albany for possible for murder and they're like, oh, it was because of Mary and they had all this evidence. And this was the, I've seen, I saw this article mm-hmm. like where they, where they did this and you see the article on the next, ep- the next issue where he's there like, oops, nope, never mind. Um, the fingers also pointed at Cromlin because he was one of the people who identified the body and that it may have, uh, there was also a speculation that. Uh, it wasn't even Mary's body at all. And perhaps it was a body dressed in Mary's clothing and then left to be discovered. Um, this idea never gained any traction, but, but this is a big, but it does seem like this is obviously ridiculous. Granted, right? Why would this girl fake her own death? Okay. A few things. One, she had disappeared and left a suicide note in the past. If we assume that that is true Two. She maybe was getting cold feet about accepting a marriage proposal from Payne, and then that's what she was trying to talk to Cromlin about. And then they come up with this 
cockamamie idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, three, and this one is a complete accident on my part, just from reading through the newspaper archives. There was a woman found on, I believe, July 26th, described as a strikingly beautiful young woman wearing only a chemise or a dress slip kind of a thing, uh, wandering around in the area. When she was questioned, she refused to identify herself and requested to just be brought to prison. That's the entire article. That's interesting. Yeah. And I couldn't find anything else as to what happened with her or anything like that. But it's pretty strange that that that, that is a unusual coincidence that she certainly was a beautiful woman that, that she was a notably beautiful woman that that's what the article was entitled mm-hmm. beautiful woman found wandering in underwear effectively but again i don't know i wasn't there but that is probably something you won't hear anywhere else because i don't know how much it was connected and if anybody's ever found that thread but it's like that but that, it's quite that was coincidental there. right if so, nothing else so um did cromlin and mary have this plan to run away together fake her own death to have some kind of disappearance. Maybe they found this body and it was just too good to pass up. Who, who knows? Uh, did Cromlin's rejection become more than he could bear and that he killed Mary? Cromlin would have a number of fallouts later with people who he had been close with. Uh, even Padley, who he was apparently like his best friend. They have a falling out later, unrelated to any of this, presumably, but could be. I don't know. So let's talk about this sailor man. In September 1840, so this is pre-Cromlin, uh, pre-Payne, obviously, because Cromlin's pre, pre-Payne also, but September 1840, William Kirkuk, a sailor whose ship, the North Carolina, he was on shore leave, and during that time, he boarded with the Rogers for about two weeks. Mary and Kirkuk had been seen out together on occasion while he stayed with them. On July 3rd, 1841, this is in the July that Mary goes missing, Kierkut called on Mary for reasons unknown. He was not boarding with the Rogers at this time. He had actually been staying with his sister uh, in the area while he was here this time. He claims to have not seen Mary again because he had actually left town in mid-July to go visit another woman in Massachusetts. He returned to New York City on July 24th, where he meets up with a Mrs. Anderson who has maybe a connection to to John Anderson, the tobacconist, but it's unclear. On July 26th, he tries to board his ship and is turned away because he's trying to board too late. He was told to come back the next day. um, So he does, but he goes back to his sister's house again. And then he returns to his ship, apparently having his jacket and vest stolen while he was in Massachusetts. I don't know if he dumped it because it had blood on it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just another idea. Was was this the same sailor that the papers had speculated that Mary had run off with during 1838? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Don't know. Come, to, come back and uh, maybe he had come back and found that um, that Mary, who he... Maybe he had a fling with when he was with her before. He comes back and finds out that she'd been twice engaged and flies off the handle. Don't know. Maybe. A tavern owner in Hoboken, Miss Frederica Loss, reported that her two sons were, were in the woods near the ferry station and near the tavern also looking for sassafras bark. 
when they came upon a thicket that looks to have been a scene of a struggle. They found three large stones set up in the, in the circle, in a circle as if they were set there to be sat upon. Uh, they also found a parasol, a petticoat, scraps of cloth, and a handkerchief with the initials MR embroidered on it. Ms. Loss would also claim that she served a woman who fit the description of Mary, as well as her dark-complexioned companion, a man um, who she was with uh, at the tavern um, on the Sunday that Mary went missing. Loss would have details of the exchange that she had with Mary, and she said that the scraps of the dress were certainly from the dress of the woman who she had talked to. She stated that she had never met the dark-complexioned man before, but was able to confirm that it was not Mr. Payne. This information that Ms. Loss had is providing... She, she provided this months after um, Mary went missing. Uh, but other people, including a coachman, he, he was able to corroborate that he had also seen Mary and this dark-complexioned man walking up the street towards Sybil's cave. So this, if this is Sunday, there is a, and she was with this guy, this is the Sunday that there was a storm. Maybe they were heading up there, dipped off into either, I don't know how dense this thicket is. There's also, there's also might've been a house or something that was up there. There's a, a belief that maybe her and this companion went up there. This dark complexion companion may have been the person who committed the crime they may have also got off the road because of the rain um, being too far away from like, you know, tavern or whatever to, to dip back in there. They may have gone off the road and then the some of the local local ne'er-do-wells may have waylaid them while they were in there. And maybe the dark complexioned man may have been his body may have been found, but not connected to this or. Any number of possibilities could have happened along that little trail as well. Don't know. Again, I wasn't there. Um, but there is some speculation that they had they had maybe been waylaid and that if the if the dark complexion man had escaped, he was just, you know, he didn't want to admit after finding out that she was dead that he had anything to do with it. So but it it was I, I think it was kind of even though like Sybil's cave is like a place where people would like go hang out and like, it was like a touristy area. Mm -hmm. Touristy areas have a tendency to also attract some riffraff. Right. right. So it wasn't a place that people would ever go alone. So it wasn't like Mary would be walking up and down that, that area by herself. She normally would have a companion with her. But again, this is a few months after her disappearance is when loss comes forward with this. The, story just kind of doesn't have any more leads or anything for a while and just kind of everything gets quiet. Then on October 5th, 1841, Daniel Payne arrives at the tavern run by Ms. Loss, where he orders a few drinks, asks not her, but asks other people for directions to the thicket where Mary's belongings were found. The next morning he's found dead outside of Sybil's cave. He found, he asked for directions that would imply he didn't know. So he might not have been involved in her murder. 
Right. If he, yeah, if he, if he had done something, then he he wouldn't have to ask for the directions mm-hmm. for sure. Unless he was just really trying to throw them off the trail. But then, that's true. He, but he's found dead in a park bench. Oh. Uh, Payne had drank a lethal dose of opium, and then he had laid down on that bench near the spot where Mary's body was found. He had with him a suicide note that read, "To the world, here I am on the spot." God forgive me for my misfortunes and my misspent time. Some people would believe that these lines are a confession that he had done the murder, but it's highly unlikely. Like you said, I mean, he wouldn't have to ask for directions to go to the scene of the crime and he wouldn't try to throw people off the, off the speculation that it was him. If he was just going to go kill himself anyways. Right. Over a year later, in a strange deathbed confession, Ms. Loss, who had caught a deadly infection after being accidentally shot in the leg by one of her sons, said that upon her death, a great secret would be revealed. And what is the great secret? There's conflicting stories on that. Ms. Loss... She planned poorly then. (laughs) Ms. Loss claimed that Mary Rogers had died receiving a botched abortion delivered by Ms. Loss. Oh, I see. Loss claimed that Mary had come to her and a a doctor, an associate doctor of hers, to receive this illegal abortion during which she hemorrhages and dies. So to distance themselves from the blame, they took Mary's clothing and sank it in the middle of a nearby pond before thinking that it would be too easily found. So then they take, she has her sons take the clothes and then go distribute them around the thicket. Because that's so much harder to find than underwater. And it's also not that far away from any other, you know, from like the tavern and stuff. It it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Loss was, um, loss was linked to illegal abortions and she was linked specifically to a, a fame famous um, woman who presume who did these, she was famous for doing the abortions, uh, Madame Russell. And if you actually look, uh, look up Mary Rogers, you may find that Mary Russell was the person who was blamed for doing the abortion that killed Mary. But from what I find Mary Russell was actually on trial for a separate death related to an abortion that she had performed on another woman who also happened to be named Mary. But this Mary was, she actually had died from tuberculosis, but the, she believed that the tuberculosis was caused by her abortion. I chuckle only because of the fact that abortions don't cause tuberculosis, but it was, again, it was, it was another Mary loss may have been a part of shoddy abortions that there's almost certainly no doubt about that, but it's unlikely that Mary Rogers died because of one of them. The original coroner's examination stated that she did not show any signs of pregnancy. Now, what does that actually mean? Does that mean that there wasn't a fetus when they did the, the autopsy or, or would, Signs of sexual assault could that also be? Could that hide uh, a a botched abortion? I don't know what those signs. It's unclear. 
and the details are not going to be openly shared about that. Um, could a haphazard uh, procedure look the same? I don't know. And it, but that also, if it was because of a botched procedure that doesn't account for the bruising along the wrists or the lacerations on her back or the bruising of her face or strangulation, unless there, unless there was some, unless they also just straight up killed her after the fact, or they did this to try to make it, to make it look like it was something else that it wasn't. But her sons lost his sons would claim that the secret was not had anything, did not have anything to do with that, that the secrets were actually supposed to be a secret formula to alleviate rheumatism that she was supposed to, the secret was supposed to be revealed to that doctor or associate of hers. See, this is why, you know, she did this poorly because people, we don't, we don't know what the secret was. Right. Well, we also don't even know if, if loss actually said this because Apparently, she had said that the secret would be revealed upon her death in a letter to a local magistrate. The magistrate said that he'd never actually had the never actually received this letter or this confession or anything like that. The The doctor who was now you got to keep in mind also loss is is dying from an infection. This infection is probably causing her to have fever dreams and all this stuff, too. So she may because of. Russell being on trial for the death of a Mary and loss performing these procedures for women. She might just be fever addled, you know, just speaking, whatever, you know, whatever dreams are coming to her. She might believe that she had something to do with the death. It's unclear. And you, you can't really take the confession of a dying woman who's having, who's dying of an infection. It's going to obviously skew anything she says. Um, but she, and, and a lot of what she was saying and babbling about was also in her native German. She speaks German. So she's, she's going in and out of different languages throughout these confessions and whatnot too. So not a lot of stock can be put in. Her sons are questioned um, and they're not connected to it in any way. I don't know wh- why they weren't considered to be more likely um, culprits in the situation because they found it and their mom says that they were involved. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you just take base lost trying to say she knew something about it and her son's finding the evidence that to me would be like, Hey guys, you seem like you're, you're bad people. I don't know. But John Anderson was also, uh, he had been questioned. He would much later in life would state that he had always felt that Mary's ghost had haunted him. And, and that was one of the reasons why he never ran for public office. He wanted to be mayor, but he never sought a political career because this always hung over him. There was also speculation that Anderson had paid Edgar Allan Poe to write the mystery of Marie Roger as a way to, to, to clear Anderson's name and to point evidence away from Anderson this is unlikely because Anderson was never seriously sought after as a real suspect. He did, however, later take out a number of large ads in a magazine that Poe ran during a time when Poe was badly in need of funds. So that seems a little, a little weird, but there's also, there's also speculation that Poe himself had committed the murder 
as he seemed to have some knowledge of some details that of the crime that no one else did. Though that isn't necessarily true as he was still a writer. He was writing a fiction based on a true crime. Yeah, so, I don't buy that. Yeah, so the details may have just been there to tie his story together a little bit better, you know. Um, but people were like, he knows stuff that wasn't in the newspaper. So that that's going to be enough for a lot of these people. Um, this is unlikely. Also, it's unlikely that Anderson had – just take your drink. You wouldn't have been able to know. Yes, I would have. You're like the loudest drinker. Just go. It's also unlikely that Anderson had paid Poe to write this because there is letters between Poe and a couple of competing publishers where he was trying to sell the idea of the story and trying to not play that play them against each other, but this is straight lying to both of the publishers, but that that's, that's, that's a post story that has nothing to do with this, but it doesn't seem like if he had had the money that Anderson had given to him, that he would have had to like sell the story to somebody else the way that he did. But who knows? No one knows who actually committed the crime. So you dear listeners, what do you think? Who was it? Was it Cromlin, the ex-suitor, Payne, the ex-fiancé, Anderson, the former employee, Kirkuk, the sailor and possible former suitor, Ms. Loss, the abortionist, Ms. Loss's sons, who found the evidence, a gang of ruffians who were preying on beautiful women? Was it Edgar Allan Poe, the darkly romantic tragic writer? Nobody knows. Who was that dark-complexioned person? Could it have been Kirkuk, the sailor, who, after spending time on deck for in, in, in the summer uh, of New York, maybe he had tanned into a dark complexion worth noting? Don't know. What are your thoughts? I don't think it was um, pain. Okay. Well, because he was, he, he killed himself. He was, and he wrote that that letter and he had to ask for directions. I really think he was just sad that his love died. That's yeah. my impression I get from that. Sure. But at the same time, what, what the people at the time thought was that his writing that letter was exactly a confession because. Well, his... maybe he should have been a bit more clear, but I don't <laughs> think it was a confession. Well, he was probably writing it while he was also like tripping on law. Yeah. He was on opium. That's yeah. what he, that's what he killed himself with. Um, and the other suitor, um, Cromlin. Cromlin. I don't think he did it either. I mean, I think he, I, I, I don't know, but I, I got the impression that he was just maturely trying to step back and being like, okay, this isn't going to work. That's fine. You chose her, that you chose this other guy. And when she started like coming around and slipping flowers into his keyholes and stuff like that's, I'm sure he was like, what the heck woman are you doing? That's why I didn't go see her. But I don't think he killed her. I don't think it's so nothing th he did made makes me think that he was angry enough to go and kill her for this. So you think that the like he didn't he didn't respond to the 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 letters because he was trying to be like quit playing games with my heart. Yeah, that's oh, what yeah. I think. Yeah. And um I don't know. I think I think I'm hoping. I'm just going to go with she faked her death. That's probably not what happened, but I'm just going to go with that. That is 
almost certainly not what happened. <laughs> and I'm the person who found that. But yeah. no, that's certainly not what happened. I don't think I don't know. Probably not. But I'm going to go with that. The, this is a very convoluted story without a lot of definite facts, a lot of. Well, you know, I could only give I gave you all the I wasn't going to just try to make it like a story that obviously led to the. the no, I just mean, I, I, I just mean there are be. so many, so many clues that conf- conflict. And yeah. so it's it's really hard to, to drill down on the evidence. Maybe she had an abortion and it just went wrong and she was she died that way and they had to get rid of her body. That could have easily happened. Right. But that doesn't explain the damages done to the body now which may or may not have been done right well i'm going to take the coroner over i think like i'm pretty sure that it was pain that said that her body was 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 okay okay um and i don't think he knew but i i I don't know the information about the abortion stuff came out after after Poe was about done with his book or his, his series of short stories, and it act, the short stories, the mystery of Mar- Marie Roger was actually being released in three parts. And right before the third part comes out is when the abortion stuff happens. Oh, they knew Poe was releasing this story. Okay. She faked her death. <laughs> That's not what I'm going with, but Poe had been leaning towards, it seems in, in the story, the sailor with the sailors not and possibly with the way that the sailor had um had or the, the way that the, that she had had that loop tied into her dress where it would make it easier to carry if there was a group of people like a gang you wouldn't need to do that you wouldn't need to make her easier no, to carry multiple if you to had multiple her. people yeah. you wouldn't have to bind her wrists if you had other people they could weigh her down also true for um the the two lovers if they had individually killed her they wouldn't they wouldn't have had to do that I mean, if they had had people with them. Well, but then if you also take that loss had said that she saw a person who had a dark complexion, then the um, that and, and, and it wasn't pain. If that dark complexion doesn't also fit Cromlin, I, I don't believe I think that she, there was other descriptions that he was, he was like a clerk taller and whatnot. Anyways, yeah, he's an indoor guy. But um, so Poe believes that it was um, a sailor not necessarily he doesn't name Kirkuk in there and he doesn't have like a necessary representation of of the sailor in the in the story per se but he it but he changes his within like two sentences from like going for sailor into sailor or abortion <laughs> like in the in 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 the story but i am leaning towards the sailor more than anything else I feel like Kirkuk's going back and forth between Massachusetts and New York, sister's house. Why he wasn't boarding with them, but he would still wasn't boarding at the Rogers house, but he was still going to the Rogers house to go talk to Mary for reasons that he didn't really have. He didn't really give a good reason as to why he had been talking to her when he was, when he was questioned. And then he had lost some clothing. Seems to me like maybe gotten, Damaged along a struggle of some sort. I don't know. It just seems like seems like it, it was could have been. But it was this vest and a scarf, right? Vest and a jacket. And oh, never mind. Which would have been the things to be damaged in a struggle, I think. They would, yes. So, uh, don't know, and nobody ever will. But it if, does make some sense. I'm still going to go with faked her death, just out of 
optimistic hope. Okay. Yeah, maybe she was just sick of having all the attention maybe. of being the hottest woman in New yeah. York. She just couldn't take she it. She wanted to be a celebrity more. She's like, no, I'm just going to go away. Yeah, with all of her talents of being a person who runs a counter or a housekeeper. She was beautiful. She could have found something. Maybe, I don't know. But that's going to do it for this entry. If you have any other information or your own speculation, we'd love to hear it. Reach out to us on any of our social media. You can reach out on Twitter or Facebook at Macabrepedia. Also on Instagram at MacabrePediaPod. And as always, you can email us at MacabrePediaPod at gmail.com. And this will all be in the show notes. Thank you for listening. And join us next week as we add another entry into this hour. Macabrepedia. Macabrepedia.